Parish. It's Sunday night. It's December 11th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. It's been a few days since we last talked, so we got a lot to get to, including uh, Mike Bray's terrific comments in advance of Notre Dame's loss to Villanova and Duke's uh, destruction of UNLV in Las Vegas that uh, I think doubled as Grayson Allen's best game of the season, maybe best game of his career. Uh, we'll get into UCLA's impressive win over Michigan on Saturday night. We will get into Carlton Bragg's arrest in uh, big smile mugshot, but I wanted to start with Josh Hart because I, I oh no anybody who listens to this podcast or who uh, has read anything I've ever written understands how much I love Josh Hart as a college player, and, and you know this as well, Matt Norlanda, because when we were putting together our preseason list, top one hundred one college basketball players, um, I had Josh Hart third. Uh, the way we did it, we would we'd submit ten names, like you'd submit ten, I'd submit ten. If they were on both our lists, you know, they they'd get put on the main list. Otherwise, they'd have to go back into the deck. And you didn't have Josh Hart in your top ten. I was blown away by that because I had Josh Hart as a first team All American, had him as the Big East Player of the Year, had him uh, third on my list behind Grayson Allen and Markel Fultz. And you had on on your list, I think he was like seventy eighth. And so he ends up being thirteenth in our list. And if you fast forward six weeks from then. Now you're writing a column about how Josh Hart should be the National Player of the Year to date. Boy, it's been an interesting six weeks for you. Start out ranking Josh Hart 443rd in the country, and now you think he's the leader of the Player of the Year race. Explain yourself, sir. I'm, I'm going to, and I'll talk so you can keep up here so I can really lay this out. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do our, and I say this every damn October, but let me repeat myself here. When we do our top 101 players list, I do not rank players based on the same criteria that I assign to our preseason All-Americans because in our top 101 list, I'm looking at players and legitimately and literally saying, who would I take as the best available player you know, among all others, all things considered, purely at the college level? I had Hart like 13th or 14th, not. 78th not 64th not 43rd not 22nd felt like 78 yeah i know it did and um and so uh and by the way if we made a top 101 list tomorrow i still would not put josh hart top five i still would take he just got 37 points and he did he's on cbs on the the network of stars on america's most watched network yeah i get that man he balled out i'm gonna get to that in a second parish i would still take dudes like Jason Tatum and Markel Fultz and a number of other players. I would take Grayson Allen over him. I still would take those guys before I would take Hart. But why don't you go ahead and take a at, don't you go take a take a few Notre Dame players too, the ones you put thirty seven on since you're gonna be so I wouldn't di- take anyone on Notre Dame over so Hart and I, and I never have. And I never have. But when you look at what he's done and how he's performed, Villanova is the number one team in the country. It's undefeated. Hart was the first player in 18 years to shoot better than 70% from the floor against the top 10 team and in the same game score more than 35 and grab more than 10 boards. Shout out to Anton Jameson in 98 for being the most recent player to have that stat line. It's kind of nuts that we went that long in between, but Hart did it. Hold game on, let me life. stop you for a second. Are you sure Devin Downey never did that 2010? 
Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to think... Devin Downey. Look it up. I mean, listen, look it up. That's all I'm saying. I'm looking at. I'm going to look it up right now. 2010, Devin Downey. Hold on. Let's let's look at this stat line. By the way, people still we still get those tweets. Like I don't get the Devin Downey thing. It wasn't 2010. By the way, it's 2009. The Kentucky game. 2009, 2010. The 09-010 season. Okay, yeah. I know what you're saying. Dude, I have yeah. his career memorized. No, it was 08-09, Okay, that they beat they beat Kentucky in 2009, January 31st, 78-77. That was on the road, and then they beat him again at home later that season, seventy-seven fifty-nine. They Tevin Downey swept Kentucky that year. Dude, Legend you, don't, status. Don't, t- don't tell me things I already know. Okay, so anyway, back to back to Josh Hart, who is uh, who is half the player Devin Downey was, to be honest with you. Um, I won't argue with you is, there. He is legitimately the number one candidate for Player of the Year right now, and to me, because it was on the network of stars in a national game against an undefeated ranked team coming off an elite eight appearance. I think that Hart has just a, some cushion right now. Guys like Frank Mason and certainly Luke Kennard, they're Lonzo ball. Although Lonzo TJ leaf is also balling out for UCLA. Um, there are a number of guys that are, that are there and I'm sure they're going to overtake Hart at some point. Hart might steal it back as well. But to me, that performance was so good that he now, it's hard to argue for anyone else in the here and the now when it comes to heart. Devin Downey won three of his last four games against Kentucky. Legend. Legend status for life. Swept Billy Gillespie, then dealt, then basically ended Billy Gillespie's career, if you want to think about it in those terms. Like if, if the conversation ever turns to who ended Billy Gillespie's career, proper answer could be Devin Downey. Swept, got, beat him both times in that 2008-2009 season. Billy Clyde's last uh, season as the head coach of Kentucky Wildcats. Then Kentucky goes out, hires John Calipari. They're like, we'll fix this Devin Downey problem. No, sir. Beat him again. And then finally, finally, uh, they got uh, Kentucky got a win over Devin Downey. But he went three, three win, three and one his last two years against Kentucky. Devin Downey did. Shout out to Devin Downey. What were we talking about? We were talking about how Josh Hart is the number one Love Josh candidate Hart for player of the year. And do you disagree with that? Um, no, uh, except, I mean, like here, this is where I run into a problem. I don't disagree with Josh Hart. Like if you voted Josh Hart, you know, national player of the year today, like there's no way to intelligently argue against that problem becomes like I had Lonzo ball number one last week, whether that's right or wrong or whatever. I mean, I could, I could give you my pitch. Um, but like Lonzo ball still awesome. UCLA still undefeated. I don't know that Lonzo ball deserves to drop, but like, Lonzo Ball didn't put 37 on Notre Dame Saturday either. So, yeah, I've got to do a player of the year rankings update this week. And um, I might have Josh Hart number one. And, and if I do, that'll be a, a probably the most sensible thing I do all week. I, I think that's that's fair. And, yeah, Ball's team was terrific. I know we'll get to them in just a minute. Real quick on Nova GP. Um, Notre Dame came out. Uh, and just kind of smacked him in the face there. It was a tremendous uh, first half for the Irish. They were hitting tough shots. They were getting into the lane. Matt Farrell, who basically looks like Jeff Borzello's cousin, mm. was going off. And it was kind of a revelation to see Notre Dame continue to play that kind of offense at that kind of level because it was by far their toughest opponent. Um, so I think it. I think we learned plenty about Notre Dame and what it can do or can't do. Nova pushing back, I thought, was an inevitability, and Hart played tremendously, but he did get help in spots where he needed it from his teammates overall, and 
why I think Hart will be consistently, I mean, at worst, and it's going to be, I think, a loaded field in terms of who will consider for player of the year, but Hart's never going to fall out of the top five because I don't see Villanova not being a top 15 team start to finish. Like, I don't think Nova's going to lose three in a row. I doubt it will lose two in a row. And because of that, it's just not going to fall far in the rankings. And because, you know, it's an East Coast team, the reigning national champions, he's so damn good. I expect Hart to be a consistent top five candidate for player of the year. And for Villanova to put itself on the right track to another really, really good seed, which is no shock. We said coming in that this was probably going to be the best team in the Big East with probably some pushes. And that league is good. I mean, they're going to lose some games. But I thought it was pretty damn impressive for them to push back the way they did, get some stops, and they needed all of what Hart gave them. But in in the right spots, Jenkins had a few big buckets. Um, Mikhail Bridges was was pretty damn important. I feel like that's a go back, watch the game film, and Jay Wright will see just how much Bridges contributed there. But on the whole, I'm feeling better and better about Villanova, and they are very much right there with kind of any other team that you want to look at that should be considered you know, national title winning worthy. There's no reason to believe that this team is going to have a drop off from last season. No, they like, they're going to take a loss every once in a while. Like they, they might lose at Creighton, you know, lose at Xavier, but you know, lose at Butler, but they ain't going to lose much like, you know, over under right now, heading into the NCAA tournament, three and a half losses. What would you do with Villanova? That's by the way, they're going, they're going into big East play undefeated because they got the next games at temple at home, American at home, they're going to be 12-0 and heading into the Big East. Then it gets interesting because they've got at Creighton, at Butler, back-to-back. I know. So, so like, uh, yeah, so that gets that's, tough. That's, tr- that's tricky, but that's the only, like, that's the only I think if you gave me three spot. and a half. I'm gonna, I would say over. GP, I'll say over. I might. I, I will say I might go under. four losses for Villanova on Selection Sunday. Four losses I think is fair. They also got to play Virginia, but that game is in Philly, and who knows what Virginia will be at that point. Um, they have a three-game road stand in February, Xavier, DePaul, Seton Hall. They should win two of those, I would think. But we'll see. Maybe Seton Hall will be formidable at that point. But I'm going to say Nova is a four-loss team, Big East tournament play included on Selection Sunday. Yeah. And with that kind of record and what it's done in the non-conference, winning at Purdue, getting a win over a Notre Dame team that will be in the tournament, um, Four losses will probably be enough to get them a one seed. Obviously, will depend on what happens around them in the sport. I think four losses makes sense. Like I think that's the. I think if I were setting a number, that's the number four, four, and then we could argue over or under, but four is probably the number. But if they do go to Selection Sunday with with four or fewer losses, I, th- I think that obviously, like you pointed out, it, it will uh, be. It, it'll depend on what happens elsewhere. But my guess is a, a, a four loss Villanova team on Selection Sunday. As the reigning national champions, and I know it's not supposed to matter, but like you know, those are humans in that room. Uh, like the, the reigning national champions coming off a, another Big East championship with only four losses, that's probably a one seed. I would I would feel safe thinking that's a that's a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Agreed. I do want to talk about uh, heading into that game. It was interesting. Mike Bray held a press press conference. He's of course is the Notre Dame coach, and uh, said he was looking forward to uh, this game with Villanova Notre Dame on CBS because. Uh, it would give people a chance to focus on veterans and winning programs, established programs, people who have done it, you know, not only this year, but last year, year before, uh, instead of talking about, uh, 
you know, a lottery pick freshman who might play before Christmas that was clearly in reference to Harry Giles and another uh, lottery pick freshman who's getting his butt beat. That was the quote that presumably uh, was directed at Markel Fultz out at Washington, whose team was at the time four and four. And it sort of got twisted into Mike Brace taking a shot at Markel Fultz, taking a shot at Harry Giles, taking a shot at Duke, whatever. When in reality, uh, he was just taking a shot at us, not you and I specifically. I mean, maybe it could have been because like we're just as guilty as anybody else talking about Harry Giles and Markel Fultz nonstop. He was just taking a, a, a shot. It wasn't a shot at Duke or Giles or Fultz as much as it was shot at uh, people who talk about and write about college basketball, which includes us. And I, you know, I thought it was completely fair. I even texted Mike and I was like, I love that comment. A, because I just like it when coaches say interesting things, but he was spot on. And I I do think that um, sometimes we do get a little carried away and we probably will on this podcast and many more going forward talking about, you know, the guys who project as lottery picks instead of just really uh, focusing on, um, you know, more traditional college basketball teams who, you know, aren't loaded with one and dones or loaded with top five picks, but are still really, really good consistently. And that very much is the case with Villanova and Notre Dame. Like Mike might be one of the more underappreciated coaches in America, given what he's he's consistently done with that Notre Dame program. So I just thought it was uh, uh, a some interesting comments, uh, but B they they sort of got twisted a little bit, and and I thought they were perfectly fair. Like I don't like. Um, I'm not a big fan of just people blaming the media, criticizing the media in general or while speaking in, in generalities. But uh, like that was a shot at people like us, not a shot, but it was a, a comment in our direction. And I thought it was completely fair. Like it, it didn't offend me at all because like, you know, he's really just holding up a mirror to, to the way college basketball is covered these days. I had zero issue with what Mike said. Uh, there was a lot of truth to it, but also to be fair, uh, the fact of the matter is this is the most exciting freshman class in a long time in college basketball. So we have every right to write, cover, report and discuss those things because these players will only be in our sport for all of eight months. And why not take advantage of it? But at the same time, Bray has also become quite good at cultivating a program. You know, Demetrius Jackson and Zach August last year, the year before that, you had um well, yeah, Jaron Grant, Pat Connaughton, Demetrius Jackson, all these guys that have been good players entering college but not necessarily surefire draft picks, and he turns them into pros. It just takes him two, three, usually four years, and in the process has created really one of the more reliable offenses in the country. Bray is now just starting to get his due because he didn't have a lot of tournament success until recent years, and so he had teams over you know the past 15 years or so who performed relatively well on the whole in the regular season, but then failed to get to the second weekend of the tournament. That has not been the case in recent years. Obviously, Notre Dame almost knocked off undefeated Kentucky a couple years back, and then last year they make it to the Elite Eight again. So now he's breaking through and getting some gains in the tournament and is rightfully starting to get respect. Is really a top 20, top 25 coach overall in the sport, which is is tough to do, but he is absolutely worthy of it. And by the way, GP, I don't know, I'm sure you picked up on this, but what I thought was interesting was that he chose to make these comments. And to me, it was it was 100 percent toward the media. It wasn't a shot at Duke whatsoever, because let's remember, Bray used to coach on that bench with Krzyzewski. He was an assistant for a long time there before he left to coach at Delaware and then at Notre Dame. And so he's not going to take a shot at Krzyzewski. He no. doesn't have any issue with Harry Giles or anything or Jason Tatum. It wasn't about that at all. Um, very much. And open to coaches taking shots. And by the way, you get them, I get them. A lot of people in the media get messages. Coaches read a lot, okay? 
they they read a lot. They consume a lot of college basketball media because this is their life. And some coaches don't. Like some coaches generally don't give an f what the media has to say. They don't bother themselves with it. But we do on regularly hear from coaches about a story we might have written or something you know that you might have done with ranking teams and whatever. And I like the fact that they're interested in it and have no problem pushing back sometimes when they you know will come at me in a in a fun way, just kind of like, hey, Norlander, what the hell was this? Like when you know it's. It's good to at least have that kind of interest and know that the things that we're talking about can reverberate there because obviously the things that they do, the games that they coach, the sport that they build their lives around, are, are, they create our livelihood. So I encourage any coach to be willing to speak out about these kind of things even, like just because it gets the discourse going. It's good that we're just having conversations like this because you know what? Notre Dame is better than I thought they were going to be. I was wrong about this team. They showed themselves well against Villanova. They're probably going to be a top six team in the ACC this season, and I did not think that would be the case this year. I thought that they would they would have a drop-off from last season, probably qualify for the tournament, but maybe just barely get in, be in that top eight, nine range in the ACC. But they're even better than that, man. I mean, Bonzi Colson is damn good. I love watching that guy play, and he's got plenty around him with the story in B.J. Beecham, most notably we talked about Farrell's breakout performance. So here, here to Mike Bray. By all means, if any other coaches have an issue with the fact that we can't shut up about Fultz and Dennis Smith and the Duke guys and De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, speak up. But just know that fans are interested in that. We know the things that they're looking to see and read about. And the fact that these freshmen are that interesting and fun. Like UCLA is a freaking blast to watch. Like obviously we're going to be writing and talking about that. But in the course of that, we can and will give credit to the coaches and programs that are winning without dudes that are 18 years old. Uh, you mentioned Duke. They did play on Saturday. They went to Las Vegas and beat UNLV by like a million points. Um, Grayson Allen was terrific. Finished with a uh, career high, I believe, 34. Uh, certainly his best game of the season. And not only did he play well, like he looked well. You know, he's had a toe problem that still isn't. He said afterward, 100%, but it's better and he was explosive. Like the one dunk I think at this point everybody has seen was just like, whoa. Like it was, you know, that was like a dunk of the year type candidate because it was, uh, you know, on a big stage. I guess any stage Duke is on is a big stage. But um, on national television and, and he really, he got violent with it. And um, you, you just watch that team. And I, I don't want to get repetitive about Duke because we talked a lot about this last week on the most recent podcast. But, man, they are really really looking like something and and the point I made in something I wrote was that uh, really I just uh, copied what I said on the podcast last week which is they might end up being better than we thought and we thought they were the consensus best team in America and the reason they might end up being better is because Luke Kennard's so much better than anybody anticipated and Emil Jefferson so much better than anybody anticipated Jason Tatum is still like a top five pick maybe number one pick in the draft Marquise Bolden is still whatever he is. Uh, like, I don't even know that he's going to be that important to this team. Grayson Allen can still do what he did this past weekend. But when you start talking about, we looked at them on paper, and they look like the best team in the country, but then they're even better than they were on paper, at least individually. And it's not just individually, because, like, they're playing well as a team, sharing the ball, guarding, doing all the things you want a team to do. But, like, Grayson Allen is what we expected him to be. He, like, certainly when he gets healthy, he appears – like, he's going to be that. And now Duke doesn't play again for more than a week, so he's got time to get healthy. Frank Jackson, better than we thought. Um, uh, Luke Kennard, better than we thought. Emil Jefferson, better than we thought. Jason Tatum, still early, but there's no reason to think he's going to be anything other than awesome. And, like, I don't 
like I want to see Harry Giles, and I think he will obviously be great because I think he's great. But like, even if you told me Harry Giles never played a single minute, who do you pick for national champion right now? I'd still pick Duke. That's how about that? You could tell me that the guy who six months ago or a year ago everybody thought would be the number one pick in the draft isn't even going to play for Duke, and it wouldn't change my opinion of Duke winning the national championship at all. That's how talented and, and deep they are. Yeah, I'll take the Grayson Allen just singularly here, GP, because I don't think I shared on the last podcast. Uh, just a little more anecdotes and on the scene. So I saw them in person last week, and I talked with Grayson in the locker room afterward, and the toe was bothering him. He didn't have a good night shooting. He was uh, harshly self-critical. I would define him as being uh, frustrated and that entirely being uh, on himself. And just I think he was frustrated by his lack of mobility, the fact that he wasn't getting shots off that he wanted to get off. Um, overall, had a good distribution night, but that dunk to me, was an F you dunk to kind of himself being like, yeah, I know I can do this. Like I, it was a week's worth of being pissed and he finally got it out. And that was really one hell of a dunk. And it reminds us, by the way, Grayson Allen is a freaking athlete and can get up and is one of the best dunkers in the sport. I think some of that gets overshadowed with the fact that he suddenly become the start Duke and a people, a player that people love to hate, but, uh, oh, and because has, he's, and because he's white. Um, I know. I, yeah, but, I know exactly. And I want to get more of that with Kennard. He know. was the Duke. He was, he was the dunk champion at the McDonald's all American game. He won the dunk yeah. contest. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a fantastic player. So I, him having a game like that, I think is really important for him to get back on track. It was just, by the way, it was just a reminder. I said this on the podcast, they can just roll out one of these dudes on any given night and they're going to kill you. Like, they they are now reaching a point where they've got four guys legitimately capable of putting up more than 30 on you, and it's not like that's going to be necessarily just like a complete revelation. So for for Grayson, I think it was a big-time deal. I mean, they, they more than doubled up Vegas, and Vegas, that's a, that's a rebuilding team. They, Marvin Menzies is in his first year. It's going to be years before they can even think about cracking back into the rankings. So it was a little depressing that this was the first time those two teams met. Since 91 in the Final Four when Duke got its revenge on that epic blowout in the 90 uh, Final Four. But on the whole, that was just a, a get-right game for Grayson. Um, and now they have more than a week. He'll probably be fully healthy when they play Tennessee State on Monday, December 19th. I do expect Harry Giles to make his debut in that game. Like UNLV is a mess right now. They're in total rebuild, and who knows if they'll ever get where they need to be. But I don't care. You beat somebody by forty. You beat a, a brand like UNLV by forty nine points. Like you're operating at a really high level. So, um, like I wrote, I, Duke should not be ranked number one. I don't think because I, I believe the results have to matter, and they do have a um, you know a loss to Kansas on the resume. They do not have a truly great win, or at least they, they don't have a win over a truly great team. The way some other, you know, like they don't have a win that matches UCLA's win at Kentucky. Probably nobody does. Um, so, like, I mean, you can rank them number one, and I won't argue with you because I do think they're the best team. But, like, that's my point. I'm not ranking them number one right now, but if you want to start an NCAA tournament tomorrow, you can put them in any region. You can make them any seed you want. I'll take those guys. They're really operating at a high level. Also, though, UCLA uh, operating at a high level uh, improved to, what did they go to, 10-0? They're ten and zero now after a wild game against Michigan. They were actually um, tied at the half, uh, down for for some of the first half, tied at the half, fifty fifty, and only tied because Lonzo Ball hit a, a long three pointer, and then they just kept scoring. Like you know, if you're Michigan, you're going okay. Like we just put up fifty, we should be all right. Except no, they put up fifty two, 
And then and then you get in the second half and like, you know, I think Michigan scored eighty four. And you feel pretty good about on the road, Pauley Pavilion, eight nope, they're gonna put hundred and two on you. And uh, they're right now leading the country, UCLA is in two point field goal percentage, in three point field goal percentage. Lonzo Ball is awesome. TJ Leaf is awesome. Uh, like like what Lonzo's doing is completely overshadowing what what TJ Leaf's doing, but like TJ Leaf is 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 playing unbelievably well for a freshman or for for anybody. Um, I'm actually going out to LA this week and uh, can't wait to get out there. A because it's LA, the weather's terrific. But um, I mean, this UCLA team has become, I, I I think maybe the most interesting team in the country, if only because. You know, they went 15 and 17 last year. People were on Steve Alford pretty pretty harshly, and now he's got a team that's ranked second in the country and uh, a difference maker at point guard, shooters all around. Like I I, I didn't look at the numbers uh, this morning, but I think heading into the Michigan game, uh, they had five players shooting better than 40 percent from three point range. I don't mean just like, and I, that's not counting somebody who like has taken two three pointers. Like five dudes who legitimately who play real minutes. And shoot, shoot jumpers from the perimeter, and they've got five of them that were shooting over forty percent from three. I mean, that's a fun basketball team, and not just fun because that implies not great. I think they're fun, and I think they're great. This team is—you are on the money. I mean, yeah, Villanova rightfully should be number one right now. Duke should be considered the most talented and frightening team. UCLA is in the conversation with any team in America as a Final Four national title threat. I don't think, and this is going to be hard to keep up, and maybe they will do it, maybe they won't. I don't think there's ever been a team that's ever led the country in both two- and three-point percentage. Maybe it's happened. Um, I'm going to research it and look it up. Uh, That's bonkers. They're shooting 47% from three as a team, which is outstanding. And And I just looked it up now. They do still at this point. Isaac Hamilton, TJ Leaf, Bryce Alford, Lonzo Ball, Aaron Holiday, all shooting at least forty-two percent from three-point range. They have, they have a unbelievable, they have an unbelievable point guard who makes everybody better, and they surround them with basically four shooters on the court at all times. I mean, that's they they are legitimately at least three. They at least have three. It's Lonzo and three three three-point shooters on the court at all times. And given how you know, savvy Lonzo is. And by the way, he, he's a big guy. He's not a super athlete, but he's athletic. Like I don't want to undersell like how good Lonzo is and they move the ball so well. Um, and by the way, like it's, they're not like they run, don't get me wrong. Like they can get up and down, but it's more like they quickly get into their half court set and then they move it and they push and they find the spot and they, and they trigger and they go. So they're, they're a ton of fun. They had a bonkers, just just laughably ridiculous first half against Michigan where the teams combined to hit like 23 three-pointers and were on pace to set the record. Now, they didn't do it, but that was punctuated by uh, Ball hitting a shot from like 30 feet at the end of the first half. It just kind of just shows, you know, a microcosm of what he is and what the team is. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited to read what you get from that team because it's it's been a long time since UCLA has been this – Good and fun to watch. Let's remember that the Howland teams were good, but they freaking grinded, okay? Not the they last were, team. Led the Pac-12 in tempo. GP, can you let me finish a damn sentence here? You, you do I'm not. I'm talking you, about. You don't I'm ta- talking about 
I know that. I know I know that the last team was good, but people listening are going to think about the final four teams, and those teams, while efficient, basically pounded you into dust. They didn't play fast. They had great athletes and future NBA players on them, but a common criticism of Howland with the final four teams is that they had the potential to be closer to what we see with this year's UCLA team, but they never came to be that. And Howland won with his style the way he wanted to do it and had a ton of success with it. The irony was, and this is what I was getting to. I'm not going to let you disparage the name of Ben Howland on this podcast. Honey, before I, before you cut me off, the irony with Howland is at the end of his UCLA tenure, the team was good in the league, was fun to watch, had some good potential, started running and gunning, but they still kicked him out anyway. And now it's taken a few years for Alfred to get his guys into the system. And now they are just the, the epitome of must-watch. They are as good as any other program to simply watch on television at the college level. And they're, they are reaching the must. Like, people are going to want to see Duke, and they're going to want to see Kentucky and UCLA. Those are the top three. Like, okay, I just want, I want to see these teams because I don't know what's going to happen. And whenever it does, it's probably going to be great. Um, what was interesting about the last year at UCLA is Ben scrapped everything he had ever done and just said, okay, they want me to play fast. Let's play fast. It was like there were three criticisms of Ben as his UCLA tenure started unfolding. One was that recruiting had dropped off. The other was that the winning had dropped off. And the other was that they played a boring style of basketball. So in that last year, they won the Pac-12 outright, uh, played fastest tempo in the Pac-12, and had like you know top two, top three recruiting class in America, still got fired. Whatever. Here's my point. Uh, so they go out and hire Steve Alford, which is so like it was hilarious to me. Because they said, we want a coach who's going to commit to running and you know play a fun style. And they would go out and hire Steve, who for all his success at both Iowa and New Mexico, like they didn't, they, he never played fast. And so I was just like, is, oh, you really, you want to play an exciting brand of basketball and you hire Steve? Like that's not what, that's not it, like. Right. The, Remember what Andy Enfield said that, you know, got yes, leaked. Cause yes, he said, it, he yes. said it around a reporter that he didn't think would publicize it. And Andy Enfield basically slammed. UCLA for you know kind of playing grinded ball and USC not being that so yeah you're on the right track. yeah no because he said um like the quote was something like he was in a practice and he was getting his guys to run and he's like if you want to if you want to play slow go 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 to UCLA go across town we play we run here and that was right. a shot at Steve um my point being like you like, I give Steve all the credit in the world because like they're not playing that way now they are running and it is um it's awesome like you know it's funny I, and I guess this happens every college basketball season, but you know the, the storylines just emerge from wherever they emerge. But like already, like we're we're literally a month into it. It's a month we've been doing this now, and uh, we've got the Baylor best resume in the country story that nobody saw coming. We've got UCLA as the most fun team in the country that I don't know that many saw coming. We've got Duke uh, starting to look overwhelming, which. I think most people saw coming, but maybe not. If I would have told you Harry Giles and Jason Tatum and Marcus Bolden were going to miss much of the first month, like there really are some nice storylines that have uh, that have already developed, and that that is one of the things about college basketball. Like the storylines emerge. You know, you don't always know where they're coming from, but they they always pop up, and uh, and we've got some really good ones involving big big brands this year. Like you look at the top, you know, uh, and it's. You know, we're talking about UCLA. We're talking about Kentucky. We're talking about Duke. We're talking about North Carolina. Uh, I know that the the so-called off-brands don't always enjoy that, but like for the sport, when you have these types of brands, you know, uh, making the most headlines, that they, that is good for the sport of college basketball. 
You're gonna be ticking Mike Gray off again, man. I love. It's, 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 I, it's gonna, you're gonna anger the. You're gonna anger the turtleneck. No, I think as long as we don't bring up Markel Fultz on this on this podcast, we're gonna be <laughs> fine. So we're not even gonna do it. Like I think Markel yeah. Fultz is playing tonight. I wouldn't know. I'm not even paying attention. Mike Bray, yeah, no. don't don't worry about it. <laughs> no idea. I have no. Markel Fultz could score forty. He could be doing it right now. I have no idea. I'm not even paying attention to him anymore. Mike Bray. Mike Bray. Uh, he's he he sent a message. I accepted the message. My Markel Fultz is out of out of he's out of, he's out of my head right now. All right, so it was it was not a you know stacked loaded weekend. We had Carolina get get a scare by the way from Tennessee and was able to pull it out. Joel Berry wasn't in that game, um, but you know winning that game certainly adds more shine to the Kentucky Carolina CBS Sports Classic. We'll, we'll we'll get to that later in the week. But aside from that, GP, I mean, what else what else really went down that you think is worth discussing? Uh, see, there weren't very many good games. Like you know, Butler beat Cincinnati, but like whatever. You know that. Yeah, I mean that was one that Butler dodged. You know, just Xavier dodged losing three in a row. Butler gets a win over Cincinnati. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Um, so obviously I update the top twenty-five in one college basketball rankings every single day, and there was no change from Saturday to Sunday. Like, 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 and I think that might be the first Saturday ever that I can remember where nothing needed to be changed. Like Butler beat Cincinnati, but I had Butler ranked ahead of Cincinnati. It was a close game uh, for most of the game. Uh, so like, there's no reason to drop Cincinnati. There's like, I don't want to say I have any steadfast rules, but like, I never find it sensible to punish a, a team for losing to a higher ranked team on the road. So I wasn't going to punish Cincinnati for that. Um, you know, there was another one where somebody lost, but it was like, what are you going to do? Um, BYU got a nice win. I actually watched it last night. I was in New York this weekend uh, for CBS Sports Network, but I got back to my hotel and was able to get in front of the TV for. Uh, Colorado BYU, and that's a that's a you know if the, if the WCC ever wants to try to be a a three bid league, like they need BYU to get wins like that. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty good win for them. But it, it, Saturday was and and Sunday as well. Uh, as we're talking, like there haven't been any massive upsets um, from the weekend involving relevant teams. It just the weekend didn't go down like that, and a lot of it is because of scheduling. Uh, this is the time of year where there aren't many great matchups because everybody's or most people are in finals and, and wrapping up semesters. And so uh, it's, it, I think the, the, to the extent that it might've been a boring weekend um, it's, it's got a lot to do with the academic schedule as much as anything else. Agree. And it will hit, it hits a big lull this week. I mean, there are games, but they're not as many and not as many enticing ones, but this is really the, you know, once you hit into the, you know, December 10th to 20th range, Thankfully, we'll have the, the the games out in Vegas with the CBS Sports Classic uh, this weekend. But this is really a time to start looking. That's why I did the tournament resumes post last week. I'll do that this week. I think I might do that weekly, just kind of look at top 10, top 15 resumes, because we can start looking at a lot of what's happened in the non-conference to this point. A lot of those things matter, and we're through them. Now, there's still big ones remaining, you know, and into the season, like Kansas, Kentucky will be in January. Villanova, Virginia will be in January. So there are still, you know, we're dotted with important non-conference games, but we are basically 70%, 75% through the non-conference portion of the schedule already. So we can start taking a look around at what's been accomplished and achieved. And you with your rankings, you know, it's it's a combination of what's been done on the floor and a, a projection from the preseason. And, you know, soon enough, December will be over. The conference season starts, you know, around the 28th, 29th in almost every league and uh, and then we'll really be in it. So this is a little bit of you know the doldrums this week, but uh, but overall, yeah, it has been a fun start to the season. 
and the biggest blue blood programs continue to win big. And I think that will be something that remains a prominent storyline going forward. Yeah, as I was mentioned, like having all these big brands at the top, I, I forgot one obvious one, uh, which is Kansas. I mean, Duke uh, operating at a high level, Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, Kansas, of course, doing what Kansas does. Um, but they were in the headlines for uh, bad reasons. Uh, I guess it went down on Friday. Carlton Bragg Jr., yes. the sophomore forward, uh, was arrested and charged with battery, stemming from an incident with his girlfriend. If you read the statement from uh, the police department there in the uh, Lawrence, Kansas area, uh, he's accused of uh, striking her, of pushing her down some stairs. She's the one that called 911, so this isn't a situation where some neighbors neighbors overheard a ruckus and and called and and like you know she's she she was in a bad enough spot uh, you know, presumably to call 911. Um, the investigators, as they are, um, uh, found her believable enough for whatever reason to to charge him with a, a class B misdemeanor, but still a very serious. Uh, crime, and he's been suspended, going to be held out while they're gathering facts, whatever whatever that means. Um, but j- just a, a, an unfortunate story. I mean, this is something that uh, has always been bad, but it certainly is perceived um, in a different way today than it used to be. I mean, I can tell you, you know, well before I, I got to CBS, or at least a few years before I got to CBS, I, I covered the University of Memphis basketball program, and a, a young man named Jeremy Hunt was arrested and charged after beating up his ex-girlfriend and I mean he 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 beat her up I mean I saw I went and saw her injuries and you know spoke to her and it was it was ugly and I think he missed two games like it was just like and and there was some media criticism but it wasn't like on outside the lines or anything like that but now if you try to bring back somebody who um is accused of hitting a woman and put them on your basketball team like you you're like Bob Lee is talking about you in the middle of the day um so it's like you know, Carlton Bragg, you know, I, I, I was gonna I don't feel sorry for him. Like if he did this, he deserves whatever punishment he gets. But you talk about somebody throwing away some real opportunities because this doesn't just affect his status at Kansas. Like this affects his NBA draft status to the extent that it existed. Uh, this is somebody who has like really messed his life up now. And uh what a what a ugly what a ugly headline to read on Friday night. Yeah, I got a few thoughts on this, GP. One, it is Interesting that as you're talking about this, I was just trying to catch up. We're recording this uh, late on Sunday night, and I'm, I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed. And there's a story now out about a Heisman finalist, D.D. Westbrook at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's actually had its issues with, uh, with domestic violence within its program. And now the Tulsa world has is reporting that there have been two incidents with D.D. Westbrook in the past where he's had uh, violence within his family and officially log complaints. And so this is something that is far too prominent in sports, uh, at any level. And it certainly still infiltrates and infects college sports. Carlton Bragg's uh, mugshot is an awful look because Ugh. it's, it's him smirking, if not smiling after this. And, it will garner no sympathy. Uh, like it really no is just joke. like just the worst look ever. Like I don't I don't know how you're supposed to look when you're taking a mugshot for being accused of, of of beating up your girlfriend or striking your girlfriend. I don't want to overstate what happened, but like I know that ain't the way to look. I don't know the right, right. way to look, but it ain't that. It's not. It's not good. And listen, I know that there are still there's still information that will need to be uh, brought to light with this, but 
the fact of the matter is, you, you know, when things like this happen, we need to take seriously, just as seriously, the words of the alleged victim as we would um, the party that's being accused. And in the past, I don't think that was necessarily always the case. And certainly that could be argued in the form of action or lack thereof when you speak specifically of Jeremy Hunt only getting two games. So it's right. People that push back on this being some sort of push toward a PC culture. No, man, like hitting women is never okay ever. You're scum if you do it. I cannot, I mean, this stuff gets me heated. It really does. And so like if, if Bragg did this, I have zero issue with him never playing for Kansas again. Like I don't care about if there might have been some heated argument because there was, you know, cheating involved with a with another guy or whatever, like whatever details that really are inconsequential to me. Like if you're getting physical with a woman, the punishment, I don't care. You can be kicked off the team. I don't care. Maybe that's not that bad. Maybe self winds up sitting him down for 10 games, whatever punishment he feels is appropriate and by the way self does not mess around you've been in his practices i've been in his practices like he is a tough teacher of the Izzo school um and it, it just it wouldn't shock me if, if bragg like truly effed up here and he's hitting serious charges and could be you know dealing with significant punishment for the law like then then maybe that's it and if you want to talk about what it means to kansas from a basketball perspective i got no problem doing that but it's not wrong when we discuss these things to keep at the forefront of the discussion, like this is garbage human behavior and we should never stand for it. And a lot of coaches, unfortunately, this is the reality of the business. When they recruit these guys and they have these guys, they pray that they don't get screw ups that like to hit women because this is like some of the worst stuff that you can run into as a coach. You don't want guys on your team, 18, 19, 20 year olds who are young men, athletic, talented, some will have inflated egos, some, you know, they're going to be getting into situations where they're going to parties, they're drinking, like, this is just nightmare stuff. Oh, coach, you got a phone call, your player's in jail because he's beating a woman. Like, that's just the last thing they want to be dealing with, and it's something that every coach in America is worried about. So we'll see where the story goes from from here, but it wouldn't shock me if what we have here is a serious case against Bragg if Self says you're never playing for me again. That wouldn't shock me. It might not go that way, but I wouldn't have a problem with it if it was indeed if that ended up being the case right and you know i had some people on twitter as i wrote about this on friday talking about you know innocent tool proven guilty and like hey nobody's trying to th- i'm not throwing anybody in jail that's what I-, I think sometimes people don't understand what innocent until proven guilty means it-, it means that we're not going to like give you a sentence for battery like you know nobody's gonna throw like uh, carlton bragg in jail for six months without being found guilty um of course and until proven guilty but like playing college basketball Representing a university like Kansas, a brand like the Jayhawks, that's a privilege. And that can and should be taken away from you if you are um, uh, involved in an incident like this. Obviously, if it is all a fabricated story from the um, accuser, then that is the worst thing in the world. And I, I hope no she doubt. I hope she is punished in some way. But that almost that doesn't seem to be what this is about. That almost never uh, Oh like, yeah, and so by the way, like and that. by the way, it's almost never. It's almost like when, when there's a sexual assault um allegation and they say, Well, you know, she could just be making it up. Yeah, she could just be making it up, except there are people who study these crimes and what they find out is that it almost never happens yeah like like yeah you could win the lottery but you probably won't yeah she could be making it up but history shows that she probably isn't and 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 as it relates to this specific case literally nobody even carlton bragg has said that this didn't happen 
You know, like nobody said, I can't wait to tell my side of the story. I can't wait to, you know, I didn't, I never laid a hand on anybody. Like I haven't heard that at, at least. So it appears to be what it is. And regardless of what, it, it is certainly enough to where police, you know, he's been charged with a crime. Um, I, and so like, you know, again, I'm with you. Um, you know, if you, I, I'm not going to pretend that I know how to handle this exactly if I'm Bill Self, that it should end somebody's career or it should be a one-year suspension. Like, I, I don't I don't know that there's a clear-cut, perfect answer for this. Um, but if they do decide he can never wear that uniform again, I won't be the guy to write the column that says, uh, give Carlton Bragg a second chance. Um, you can have a second chance on life. You can have a second chance in another relationship. Um, but, you know, if you lose your uh, athletic career over something like this, well, then be a better person. Yeah, I agree, and I'll I'll just tag it with this, and we can wrap it up. I mean, if 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 this was a one-time thing, if Brad and what ha- what's been alleged happened, Bragg admits to it, apologizes, shows true remorse, endures a punishment on you know within the program and the law. I've got no problem with self giving him a second chance, but we are rightfully now approaching. In, within the this greater discussion of sports, as, as as people that write about it, cover it, talk about it, punditry and all that stuff, it, it's, it should be given a more serious tone. And it shouldn't necessarily be – not even necessarily – it should not be when something like this happens, how does it affect Kansas' basketball team? We can ask that question, but it shouldn't be the first question that we ask because it's not the most important part of the, about the topic. That's all. This thing just gets me – I. It just it just really riles me up when 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 you got these players and you got athletes and we have a domestic violence issue in the country it it just it really bothers me and so I just I I'm I'm like sick of I'm just sick of it in the news and it's and I just don't get how human beings can act this way as so, as so. much as you and I disagree on Josh Hart we agree on this <laughs> completely remember you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes that's the best way to get the Uh, latest episodes as quickly as possible so please do that Uh, thank you so much for listening we will talk to you again uh, middle of the week I will probably be in LA at that point so uh, that'll be nice Uh, till then take care